I just want to say that it's the most wonderful privilege to be able to preach the Word of God. Uh, as we've heard this week from Michael Eaton, preaching is proclaiming Christ. And that's what I feel it's my incredible privilege to do this evening. But what I'm also trusting God for is that the Spirit is going to work with the Word. Because preaching without the Spirit will have no effect. So as I'm preaching, won't you ask God to work through me and also to work in you so that the Word can bring life to all of us tonight? I want to start by reading from 1 Colossians at verse 25, where Paul speaks about what he's come to do with the gospel. He says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And I'm going to concentrate on just that one little phrase in verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul wrote this letter to a church because there was a heresy that had sprung up, and it's known as the Colossian heresy. And there's not too much elaboration on exactly what the specific heresy was, but the words that Paul uses to describe it are a philosophy, an empty deceit, human tradition, and external behavior. And Michael Eaton, who we heard from this week, describes these philosophies as forms of Jewish mysticism, human traditions, and human wisdom. By using the word mystery, Paul immediately confronts the mysticism that was um, predominant in the day. Because what people were believing was that wisdom is hidden. But Paul says that now not only Gentiles, but we ourselves have access to the truth. Therefore, neither Gentiles nor Jewish believers nor any of us need to perform any rite or tradition to receive the good news. There is only one way to salvation and to hope, and that's in Jesus. So I'm going to jump straight into this phrase, and I'm going to bring out three points. What does it mean, Christ in you and Christ in me? What is biblical hope, as opposed to wishful thinking and hope in the world? And how hope can be rooted in our hearts. So first of all, this wonderful phrase, Christ in you. Christ in you, Paul. Christ in you, Rob. Christ in you, Annika. Christ in you, Lichia. And Christ in me. In these words, we find hope. The reality is found in Jesus as Colossians 2 says, and it's in me being in him and dwelling in him. In John's gospel, it says, because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. 
Remain in me, and I will remain in you. And preach today out of Galatians 2, and I don't know if he focused on this verse, but it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I live by faith in the Son of God. So here is the first wonder, the first mystery that's no longer a mystery. That the salvation means that I have God living inside of me. The awesome, universe-creating, sin-defeating, yes. body-restoring, life-regenerating God living in me. And so do you. And every name of Jesus tells us that he came to live with us. The name Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. You cannot be saved by somebody who is standing far away. If you are drowning and somebody comes to save you, they must be able to reach you and touch you. Christ being in me actually is one and the same as me being in him. Isn't this an amazing play on words? Christ in me and me in him. And therefore, obviously, in God. If I'm in him, then my, son, my sins have gone with Jesus behind the curtain. They've gone into the very presence of God. And they've gone to the throne room, the throne of grace. Amen. Just want you to think about those words again. Christ in you. So if Christ is in me and Christ is in you, then the Spirit is also in you. And we know that the Spirit comes to change us. So if Jesus and the Spirit and God is living inside of us, then surely something must change. It is absolutely impossible, it is inconceivable for the Almighty God to come and live inside of me and not want me to be transformed. Salvation isn't just something that happened long ago, last week, last year, 10 years ago. It's a marvelous, ongoing, ever-transforming process. Yes. Second Corinthians 5 says the love of God controls us. Doesn't that suggest that somebody else is at work in us? It says, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and rose for them. That tells me that my preferences, my desires are not first and foremost. So then from now on, we do not think of anyone from a human point of view. So do you think of others from a human point of view when they've been redeemed by Jesus? Do you think of yourself from a human point of view? Or do you think of yourself as somebody who's being transformed? Therefore, if anyone, even me, is in Christ, he is a new regenerated creation. Old things have disappeared, and look, all things have become, are in the process of being made new. All this comes from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me incredible hope. The thought that I am literally being transformed cell by cell from the inside gives me hope. The person that I once was is being overshadowed by the power of Jesus at work in me. Second Colossians says that all that other wisdom is a shadow. Jesus is the reality. 
So if that isn't true and Jesus is the reality, then my petty attitudes, my selfishness, my sin will change. Whatever God inhabits, he changes. I'm going to say it again. Whatever God inhabits, he changes. Even us, human beings. He purifies what he inhabits and he refines it. He restores it and he rebuilds it. He washes it, he cleans it, and he sanctifies it. And why does he do it? Because he wants to present us one day perfect and holy before the Father. He says we are his bride. Is, is it conceivable to us, for us to imagine a bride being presented as anything other than radiant? So how do you feel, bride? <laughs> are you feeling ready for Jesus to walk down the aisle? Queen Esther, I think they took a year to purify and beautify her for the king. God takes time to purify and beautify us. The word says that we're living letters, we're like shining stars holding forth light. We're holding out the word to a dying world. And this process begins at salvation and it never stops. It never stops. Maybe you feel like... It stops sometimes, but from God's point of view, it never stops. So what is biblical hope, and how does it begin in me? Hope is everywhere, in everything that God does, and everything that God's created. Spring follows winter. Isn't that wonderful? Daffodils smile. Bulbs that are buried in the ground spring forth absolutely no apparent interference from anything other than warm weather. Day follows night, and as we heard this week at Beth Moor, weeping lasts just for a short time, but joy comes in the morning. Yes. Even wrinkles meet their nemesis in anti-wrinkle cream. <laughs> Gravity is restored by control pants, whatever. There is hope everywhere in the universe. In the New Testament, the word hope is associated predominantly with one other concept, that of the resurrection of Jesus. So the interesting thing as I read through Acts is I discovered that in nearly all of the occasions when the apostles were arrested, Obviously, it was because they were preaching. But if you look carefully, you will see that what they were preaching about was not just the gospel, but the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In Acts 2, Peter says, God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, my heart is glad, this is Peter speaking, and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope. So if death can't keep hold of us, neither can sin Neither can our attitudes, neither can our character. Jesus has got hold of those things. Paul says, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And in Ephesians, we are urged to have our eyes opened to the hope to which God has called us. Perhaps you don't always see the transformation that God is doing in you, but he says that he is. Biblical hope comes from accepting the truth of the gospel that was preached to you. It does not come from any man-made system, from any wisdom, from your career, from your position, from your intelligence, your status, your income, 
or the street that you live in. It begins at the cross, as we sang about tonight, because at the cross, death and life meet, and life in Jesus is victorious. And hope conquers what we think is inevitable. The fact that we think it is inevitable that we may not change, that it is inevitable that we will stay the same, but hope comes and conquers that. And biblical hope is because of God's grace. So if we can begin to let this hope take root in us, it means that we are letting Jesus take root in us. You can be near Jesus, you can be next to Jesus, but the Bible says that you must be in Jesus and Jesus must be in you. So therefore it seems self-evident to me that Tradition, having grown up in a religious environment, cannot put us into Jesus. Only salvation can. And that's where this process begins. And if we read in the first chapter of Colossians, these are the things that we are promised will be ours. This is what is held out to us. That we will live a life worthy of our calling. That we will please God. That we will bear fruit in every good work that we will grow in the knowledge of God, that we will be strengthened with his power, that this will happen according to his might, we will have endurance and patience. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you want to grow some patience? I certainly do. That we will joyfully give thanks because he's qualified us and given us a portion and an inheritance with the saints. Why? Because he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has translated us into the kingdom of his son. And that word translated also means to woo, to carry away, to actually be seduced. Are you willing to let hope seduce you? Because seduction is so gentle, so sensitive, so romantic, so tender. Let the hope of Christ woo you to what he can do in you, to the love of God. So we get to share this kingdom with Jesus, but not only with him, but also with all the saints, because it says we're going to share the kingdom with them. So even more reason for us not to look at people from a human point of view, as I read earlier, because not only am I being transformed, but you are being transformed So this should also transform how we think about each other. So let's just stop for a moment and think about, what about the people around you, the people that you work with? What is their hope in? Is it based on their success and their status? Is it based on the security of their job? Well, I'm sure you'll all agree with me that if that was the case, then at the moment they are sure to be shaken. If you're a student, what are your fellow students placing their hope in? Perhaps they came to the UK for something better, for a better life, to learn another language, to improve their chances, but it may be that those things may not come to pass. What are they putting their hope in? The credit crunch tells us that there's nothing that we can hope in except Jesus People have an amazing ability to look 
composed on the outside, but sometimes in the heart of all of us and in the heart of those around us, there is a hidden hopelessness. The word says that if people are without God, they are without hope. What kind of hopelessness could it be? Could it be financial ruin? Could it be addiction? Rejection? Perhaps the emptiness of human wisdom? The condemnation of sin? Or the pain of broken relationships? And maybe more importantly, what do you hope in? Where's your confidence? Are you struggling to see the transforming work of Jesus at life, at work in your life? So how do I let this hope take root in my heart? Well, first of all, I acknowledge that there is nothing outside of Jesus where this hope can be found. No special insight, no doctrine, no rules, no tradition, no human wisdom. You see, the world loves transformation. But in the world, it's always instant transformation. It's changing rooms, and we rush into somebody's house, and in 55 minutes, everything is wonderfully transformed. But somehow, there's that nagging thought in all of us that when they go home, maybe the pelmet is going to fall down. And maybe the person really didn't like that terrible purple color that they painted on the wall. And it's only in fairy tales that the fairy godmother comes along and goes, dibbidi-dabbidi-doo, and in an instant people are transformed. But in Jesus, transformation is ongoing, it's internal, and it's lasting. So I just want to remind you that also in First Peter it says that Jesus has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil or fade, that it is kept in heaven for you and for me, who through faith are shielded by power, sorry, shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. So once again, I want to say it is simply inconceivable that the future hope and the future glory that we have in God does not begin now. Transformation began the moment you were saved. So we have the security of knowing that our life is hidden in Christ. And this is what I love about the way Paul preaches. He takes this incredible um, irony. Previously, people were preaching that this mystery, this gospel was hidden. Nobody could get access to it. But now, instead of the gospel being hidden from people, we are hidden inside of Jesus. Absolutely amazing. Our life and our old self is buried. Colossians 2 verse 17 says that all other wisdom is but a shadow, and it is Jesus who is authentic. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So this evening I want to ask us all this question. Is Jesus real to you? Is he not just next to you, but is he inside of you? Is he transforming you? And are you willing to ask Jesus to become real in your life? Perhaps you have asked him into your life, but somehow that incredible transforming power that we've been speaking about seems not so real to you tonight. I think there's an incredible hope for us in the ongoing work of Jesus. And this is what I just felt to ask us. Can we all surrender? Can we lay down our ideas of what is wise and what is spiritual? Can we let Christ come and live 
in us. Make his home with us. Can we let a living, breathing, powerful, energetic, victorious, sin-defeating Jesus take control of our lives? And can you let yourself die so that Jesus can live? God has declared that his goal is to present us blameless. If we are willing to lose our life, to hide our life in Christ, I believe we will gain that incredible, imperishable, unspoiled hope, which can never fade. And what I just felt that God wanted us to do is to demonstrate the fact of what hope says, because this is what hope does. Hope says, this too shall pass. Hope says, where I am now is not where I will be. Hope says, where I am now is not where I will be. Hope says, the sins that trip me up will not last forever. Hope says, the pain and the sorrow that perhaps burdens me will be overshadowed and swallowed up by Jesus. I'm going to say it again, weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Because Christ rose and conquered death, surely, surely he can conquer sin in my life. Surely he can conquer sin in yours. It starts now, it starts the moment we accepted Jesus, because Jesus is living in you and me. And what I'm going to ask Andrew to do in a minute, I'll give you a thumbs up in a minute, Andrew. I've asked, I think, about 10 people to come forward and do something this evening which I think is very courageous. They are coming forward to testify with words to the hope. The Bible says we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. So what I want you to do as the music is playing, I just want you to look at what they've written. And each person has got a piece of cardboard. And on one side of that cardboard, they have written who they used to be or what they used to be. And on the other side, they have written what Jesus is doing in and through them now and into the future. And what is wonderful, as you will see, is that there is a total diversity of what is written on those placards. Somebody asked me, is it PG-13, what I'm allowed to write on my placard? And I said, no, write whatever you want to, obviously within reason, and they did, um, because it's a testimony to what God has done. Some of the people's cardboard wasn't big enough, Sam, for what they wanted to write on it. And some of them have drawn pictures as well. And I'm just going to ask them, I'm going to, when the music starts, I'm going to ask Mia if she'll come up first. And all of you who've, uh, who have asked to do it, you know who, I are, who, who you are. So as the music is playing, once Mia's come and sort of stood over here, won't you come and just stand next to her until everybody's up here. And please make sure that the 
after side is facing, because that's what we really want people to remember. But please give them time to read the before as well, because it is a before and after. So, Andrew, if you would be so kind as to uh, put the music on for us, and then I'll, maybe I can just pray for us at the end. God is working in you, his destiny. Sam, I'm so grateful that you are trusting God and walking with him. Matt, it's incredible that you've got new desires and that you're not walking around with that fig leaf in front of you anymore. (laughs) Jill, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marcel, you are filled with peace. Rihanna, I love the way that you're running back to Jesus. How amazing. Someone at peace, oh, but peace with himself because of what Jesus has done. And 
someone who's covered by the blood of Jesus. And Paul, who has a sense of belonging and a reason to live. And what I want to ask that we can do, um, and I don't know what you, but I just really feel that the reason that God wanted to bring this message was to put hope into our hearts this evening. And I want to ask you that if you don't know Jesus, that if you don't know what it is to have hope, that you will come and speak to one of us, either one of the people here or there will be people standing at the front afterwards, come and talk to us and come and ask us so that we can share with you the reason for the hope that we have. And if you've lost your hope, if you feel like your hope has been smothered by circumstances, by sin, I'm asking you as well, please come, please come up and let God minister to you. just want to say thank you guys. Thank you for a wonderful, wonderful testimony.